This week, we are talking about the fact that life is a battle, and the question is, will we enter the battle? Will we engage in the battle or not? I love how, or it's, it's interesting, have you guys noticed that life's a battle? Yes. Yes. It's interesting how many of the songs we sang this morning were about the battle, because life is a battle. Even in, when you start reading the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, the first two chapters of Genesis, where it's this idyllic, peaceful garden scene with no sin, no brokenness, already there is a battle. If you read the language of the very beginning of creation, there is this, this military language of, of dominion and people's responsibility to, to, to forcefully push, extend God's kingdom into the world, and there's military terms used to describe Adam and Eve. And we see there's a, the snake is in the garden. You ever thought about that? There's this perfect world, but there's the snake. And the question is, how did it get there? Right? Why did the snake, who was an embodiment of, of darkness, an embodiment of the devil, how did it get in the, in the garden? Well, the short answer is, God put it there. It is part of our calling to engage in a battle. And that's oftentimes a calling that we are not too excited about. I, I like history a lot. I like the history of World War II. Is I think there's so much to learn from that. I read, I read Dwight Eisenhower's history of World War II a couple years ago. And it was amazing t- reading this, hearing about how much the signs of an imminent world war were everywhere. But the U.S. did everything it could to avoid engaging in that battle. It did everything it could to not have to be part of that until the battle came to it in a very, came to us in a very forceful way. And then though what was so incredible was how rapidly and quickly the U.S. mobilized itself to go to war and to, to, to go from a place of very little army to developing the greatest army the world had ever seen and, and defeating that great evil. But we oftentimes find ourselves like the U.S. was at in 1940, not really wanting to engage in battle. And I know this is true for me personally. Yesterday I was, my son Cade is on the high school soccer team here, and they had a soccer game, and I was helping sell concessions um, during the JV game, a little fundraiser, and this grandfather came to help sell concessions with us, who I'd never met before. He's a just-retired physics professor from K-State, and we started this conversation about cosmology and the universe and the stuff in the universe. And this was a very gentle, friendly guy. We, we really hit it off, I felt like. We were connecting and talking. It was just so interesting hearing him talking about dark matter and dark energy and how the universe is growing and how it started. And so it was me and this, this elderly grandfather and two other moms who I know well. And they're both, they both are churchgoers. I've talked to both of them about God before. So... But as this conversation about the universe was going on, he started talking about how the matter in the universe is basically spread out in such a way that the density of the matter in the universe resembles a sound wave. And that's deep stuff. This was a deep conversation. But as he said that, it just was like, wow, that's amazing. And it just hit me like, because the Bible says that God spoke his word and the universe came. The Bible says that God holds all things together by his word. And so it just hit me that, 
Wow, in the very like fabric of the matter, the stuff in the universe, it looks like a sound. It's it's a noise. It's wow, it's like the, you can that seems like a picture of the word of God. And so the question comes up in my mind, should I say something or not? <laughs> and this is the like most softball situation ever. All right? It's nice grandpa and two moms who are churchgoers and but everything in me goes don't talk about god right now and you guys ever feel this is me alone it's like there's just this this battle this like don't bring it up this is a public space or right? this is right, this is a space I and mean, that's all i need to be afraid but i there's that that fear to engage and one of the things i love about the bible is it shows how people like you and me that are normal that are frail that are fearful and mess up a lot how God takes them just like he takes us and he puts something inside of us that changes us and puts a courage and a boldness and a mental toughness inside of us that we don't have by ourselves and this morning we're going to look at a story of some of the early followers of Jesus in the book of acts who started out very fearful and intimidated a few weeks before this story they had actually been running away when Jesus was arrested and scared for their lives. But after the resurrection of Jesus and they experienced the new life that God brought and after they were filled with the Holy Spirit and after he had worked in their life and their character, they were in a different place. And so we're going to pick up the story in, in Acts chapter 5. Starting in verse 16 and we're just going to, this is just such an interesting story. We're going to read quite a bit of this and just talk through it, but with the goal of getting what we need in us to engage in the battle that God's called us to. So Acts 5, starting in verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. That was a portion of the city out around the temple. And so it was kind of a big public gathering place. Kind of like the concession stand at the high school football <laughs> soccer stadium. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Uh, just, what an amazing description of the early church, the people of God, and how God's presence was among them, and how God was doing amazing things. And sick people were getting healed, and people were coming to faith in Christ, and God's presence was in them to such a degree that people would lay their sick on the streets so, so that as Peter walked by, his shadow would touch them, and they had faith that, that God would heal them because his presence was so tangible with his people. And doesn't that sound great? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing to be part of an environment like that? It is. And, and really, when I look at what's happening in our midst, I, I feel like we are. I mean, we're not seeing that sort of miracle, really. Um, although, we, we are seeing physical healings and amazing things happen like that. But we're seeing lives being changed. And the starting point of this, this topic of engaging the battle is that it's not something we can do by ourselves. But it's the consequence of God's presence and God's spirit 
be in our midst. It, it's a God thing. And so, it has to be a God thing. In verse 17, it goes on and says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him. And the high priest, this is kind of represents the old order, the old system. And so, this new Jesus movement, the followers of the way, as they were called, was a threat to the old system, the old political and religious establishment. And so the high priest, that old order, rose up, all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So things were going great. Miracles, growth, excitement. And then there's opposition. Or then the opposition makes a bold move. And the leaders of, this, of the church get put in prison. And a lot of times we're not prepared for opposition because we don't realize it's the norm. But the start, an essential thing we have to realize is if we're going to live in this world, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, is we got to know opposition is the norm. This is not like, oh, how could this happen to me? This is the world we live in. This is the way God made it. And this is the way that it is as a result of the prevalence of evil in our world. And Jesus was, was, did a really good job in his ministry on earth of preparing people for opposition. In, in Matthew 10.22, he told his disciples, he said, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Praise God. Wow. That's, man, that's so good. God, you love me so much, and I'm going to be hated by all for your name's sake. Wow, that's not, but he warned them, hey, this is part of what it means to be my follower. There's going to be opposition. People are going to hate you. You're going to be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures, and when the Bible talks about saved, it doesn't just mean going to heaven, but it means it's a transformation of our whole being. The one who endures to the end is going to come into being everything God made you to be. For us to come into everything God made us to be, we have to deal with, with the opposition, and endure through that. And that process actually is what helps us be saved. It helps us become the person God called us to be. So that's, that's the norm. Verse 19, so they're thrown in prison. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Man, that's, that's great, isn't it? Like there's opposition, but God is still with them. And God isn't limited by any opposition. He's not limited by any prison. He's not limited by any circumstance. God is able to intervene and do what he wants to do. And he does. And the angel said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, if I got rescued from prison, that would be really awesome. I'm not sure that's the instruction I would want to receive right then. I'd be more like, hey, go take a warm shower and put on some Netflix and maybe go on a vacation. Like, hey, you did some time. You suffered already. You sacrificed. Hey, good job. You deserve a break. But God's like, hey, hey, good job. Now we got something good going here. Don't let up. I want you to go right back to the public courts and keep talking about this life. Keep talking about the truth. Keep, tra- keep talking about the things of God. Keep engaging in the battle. And that's, that's how God works with us. So why would he do that? Well, I love, how, I love how it says the words of this life. Capital L. You know, this whole message that God has given us 
is a message of life. It's, there's a battle over because there's an enemy that wants to destroy people. But what it's about is not just being tough, but it's about enduring so that we can experience God's life and, and bring it to the world around us as well. And so they did. Um, verse 21, when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They didn't even wait for like the, you know, after they had their coffee at 10 o'clock. But daybreak, they're going out, they're ready to go. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came to the prison, they did not find them there. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were great, greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Where They're in prison. Doors are locked. What happened? There's a mystery here. But someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And again, I'm just like, who does this? Like, you, get, you get released from prison, they go right back, and they're boldly proclaiming the truth again. Um, you know, again, just, we see there, our calling is not to avoid conflict, but it's to be on the offensive. It's to be engaging in the battle. In, in 1 Peter 5, the Apostle Peter was giving instructions to, to, to followers of Jesus, and he says this. In verse 8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. When I was a kid, I had one of those recurring nightmares. You guys, any of you have recurring nightmares? My nightmare that I had was of this, it was in black and white, and it was this huge lion that was standing outside our house. And it would just, it would stand there, and I would see it. I would see it through this, like, glass window or door, and it just petrified me. It was just terrified. At some point, I prayed, and God delivered me from that dream, thank God, because it was a bad dream. But I think about that, it says, be alert, your enemy, the devil, roars around like a, like a, a lion eager to, to devour somebody. If we saw our enemy like that, that would help us be alert. That would help us be alert and sober-minded. And that is the reality. There is an enemy that hates our guts and is going around trying to devour those who he can. And it's interesting it says be alert and, and a sober mind. This leads to, brings to my mind, one of the big ethical questions that our generation faces that increasingly comes across my path. And it is this. Not how much can a Christian drink. That's a good one. But one I hear increasingly is, is it okay for a Christian to use marijuana? And you're like, where are you going? Why are you talking about this? And I thought we were talking about engaging in the battle. But I almost subtitled this message, Can a Christian use marijuana? <laughs> because I think it really encapsulates a lot about where our culture is at. Because I'm increasingly hearing the arguments of, hey, you know, it's, it's better than alcohol. You don't hurt anybody when you get high. 
what's, what's the problem? All, all sorts of things. But can we do this? Can we be alert and have sober mind if we are high? Or a better way to think about it is, are we looking, what are we looking for in life? Are we looking to escape the battle? Or are we looking to engage in the battle in a winning way? And I think, really, that is one of the, the real issues. And I know I'm kind of half-joking. I'm not really, you know, I know there are a lot of issues about medical uses and what's, who should be thrown in prison. And there are some, some tough questions along the lines of, of marijuana. But what I think is a real issue is I see a generation of people that are checking out from the battle God's called us to live. And they're seeking solace. They're seeking comfort. They're seeking an escape. And our enemy is very happy to let you have some rudiment, some, some type of escape if it keeps you from engaging in the battle that's going to defeat him. And it does. It bothers me that there's a generation of people that has become so fixated on, man, what's the, the experience I can have that makes me feel good when it takes away from the calling that we have to be engaged in the battle. So that makes sense? And that's, that is a tragedy because it is taking people away from the life. The life that, you know, as, as the old saying says, there's no high like the most high. If you haven't heard that, that's, that'll take you far right there, all right? There's no high like the most high. And if we're selling for something else, whether it's food or Netflix or substances, any, there's, that is a cheap substitute for the most high, the life that God has for us. And it also takes us out of the life that God intends for us. All right. I hope you learned something in church today. Um, continuing on that passage, it says, after you resist him, it says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, God's purpose is that we resist the enemy, we engage in the battle, and in that process, we gain some endurance. We gain some mental toughness. We gain some boldness internally. God makes us strong, firm, and steadfast. We come into becoming the people he's made us to be. All right, back to the story in, in Acts. What happens next? Chapter 5, verse 26. It says, Then the captain, so the people are out, the, the, the believers are in the public courts talking about Jesus. It says, Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. This, this message, it's important to realize that the message they were preaching, it they were preaching, it was the good news. It was about Jesus bringing, bringing hope, bringing life, bringing victory. But there was a, a part of it that it's not really the gospel unless it shows us our sin as well. And when the audience heard this message, they, they could not avoid the fact that it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was our sin 
We're guilty. You're saying we're guilty of killing this man who's not only innocent, but the Lord of all. And the good news, this, this gospel that we have, it's, it is a life-giving message that brings life and freedom. But it also is offensive. And it's not the gospel unless there's that element of it as well. And so, yes, we have to do everything we can to make it presentable, but we also have to make sure that we're dealing with, with the issue of sin and, and bringing that fully. What, what's the apostle's response? In verse 29, it says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And there it boils down right there. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And so they had a discussion about what should we do. And one of the leaders counseled them not to, not to be too, um, too strong too quickly. So in, in verse 40, it says, when they, had, they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so they didn't, they didn't kill him. They just beat him. It was, they let him off easy. They just, they just beat them. And verse 41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Isn't that inspiring? they just gotten beat up. they just gotten whipped. And they counted it an honor to be dishonored for the cause of Christ and the person of Christ. In verse 42 it says, And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And it goes on, and the, that city was changed. History was changed because of these men and women who engaged in the battle, who lived with courage, who lived with boldness, who lived with mental toughness. They were willing to pay whatever price. The next chapter goes on and says how, how the first person was killed for his faith, Stephen. And there was this, this willingness to engage no matter what it cost. That, I think, is so inspiring to us, and it leads us to the question is, am I, am I engaging in the Lord's battle? The battle in my time, in my world, what does that look like for me? What's the price that I would have to pay to really be engaging? Or what are the things that are challenging me, where I'm kind of like, hey, I'll go this far, but I don't know about that far. You know, I liked how this morning as we were worshiping, Marcel was like, hey, I want to challenge you. Let's go somewhere we haven't gone before, because that's an important way for us to see, like, where is the battle? It's that place where I'm not really comfortable there. I, I'm comfortable here, but uh, that's, it's getting kind of heated right there. And God has called us, though, to, to engage in, in the battle. And last week we talked about being a disciple and the call to discipleship. I know of no better way to really know if we're engaging in the battle than by asking two questions. Am I, each and every day, Anning up as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I saying, Lord, I'm your disciple today. I'm going to live for you, not for myself. Whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm making a prior decision 
that I'm a disciple and I'm following you? And then the second question is, am I engaging in the battle of making disciples of other people? Am I, and that's, am I saying, hey, it's not just about me, but am I going to help extend this kingdom into people's lives and the world around me? And that's where I really start to feel it. That's where it gets real. Like I talked about at the concession stand. It's like, oh man, there's like, there's some unwritten rules here about what you talk about and what you don't talk about and what's kosher and what's not. But that's, that's the call of God. Really winning in the kingdom of God. Winning for our churches. Winning for us as Christians is that every believer is a disciple who is making disciples. Our, we have a goal that we would have a culture where every member would be a disciple who's helping make three disciples every five years. That's, that's the kind of anteing up, I think, where it, what God is after. That's what really expands the kingdom of God in the world and where it gets real. And we think, okay, what does it look like for me in my life? Am I living in such a way that I'm going to help make three disciples? I'm going to be an essential part of making three disciples, of seeing people that are not currently followers of Jesus, become followers, and begin building their life upon his word and his ways, and then doing the same thing with the world around them. And that's, let me tell you, that's where it gets, it gets exciting. That's where it gets fun. That's where lives get changed, and, and things really start to happen. But there is, a, there is a battle in that process. I just want to read one more scripture. A few chapters later, in, in Acts chapter 14, This was when Paul the Apostle was was bringing this message throughout the known world. And at one point, he ran into some opposition, and they actually stoned him. That means they threw rocks at him to kill him. That was the thing they did back then. And they they stoned him and left him for dead. He looked like he was dead. But after they went away, he was able to get up and survive. And it says in Acts 14, verse 21, it says, When after that, they went and preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples. They returned, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Wow, that's just the, the, the basic understanding is that it's through tribulations, it's through the battle, through engaging in that process, that that's how we enter the kingdom of God. And again, that doesn't just mean that's how I go to heaven when I die. That's... that's that's, that's not what this is about, but it's about God's will coming into my life and me bringing God's will into the world. That's what the kingdom of God is all about, God's will. We enter into God's will being done in the world around us, and that's where it gets exciting. Now, I'm, I'm just here to tell you today, I'm like the biggest scaredy cat in the world. All right, When I was a kid, I was so shy. I was so timid. I would, if you talk to any of my classmates growing up, you'd be like, that was the super quiet guy in class who never talked. And it was largely because I was just timid and insecure. But as I started to follow God and get his spirit in me and get his word in me, something started to change. And there was a boldness and something that was different than, than it had been before. And I still have all those fears. I still have those same insecurities. But the greatest joys in my life, many of them have come from engaging in the battle and seeing God change me, and, and change the people around me. And oftentimes not even knowing what that, what's happening. You know, yesterday at the concession stand, I, by the grace of God, I, I, I hesitated for a moment, but then I said, hey, you know, I'm a Christian, 
And this is really interesting to me. Because the Bible talks about God's Word being the thing that created the world and holds all things together. And it turns out this guy was not a Christian. But it ended up being a very engaging, interesting conversation. And the, the two moms, the other end of the concession stand, are going, wow, this is deep. This is really interesting. This is good. And it was just like, you could feel just the, and more of the kingdom of God came into that concession stand at Seco Park. And I'm like, yes, this is how I want to live. This is what it's all about. And, you know, that's what God has called each and every one of us to, to live in a life of engaging and facing our fears of a boldness that's beyond us and a mental toughness that's beyond us. I just want to pray for us this morning that God would help us to respond and continue to create this in our lives. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have made us for this battle, and you've won, and you're winning, and you've brought us into it. Lord, I pray this morning that whatever internal and external fears and battles we face, would you work in us in such a way? Would you work in the heart of each one, hearts of each one of us to give us courage, to give us endurance, to give us toughness, to give us what we need, to become the people you've called us to be, and to run into the battle and to see your kingdom extended? God, thank you for calling us to this life. We love you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.